What's happening? And welcome to another Crossroads Connect podcast. Here we discuss everything from current Crossroad events to trending topics to how we can reconcile God's truth with the real world we live in. Well, hey, how's it going? And welcome to episode 14 of the Crossroads Connect podcast. We had a little bit of technical difficulties last week uh, as we were recording, and so uh, we are doing 14 this week. Sorry, it's been a a little bit since we've been together, but Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Jared. Good to see you. So as we jump in, we're going to talk a little bit about... uh, we're going to open up with, with talking about our favorite sauces. Um, uh, you're a sauce guy. I'm a sauce guy when it comes to food. So we're going to talk sauces. We're going to talk a little bit of politics today um, as the election is coming up here just around the corner, uh, the presidential election. And then lastly, we're going to wrap up with an Ask Anything segment. And today we're going to be talking about does baptism save us? So uh, those are uh, what's happening today. Stick around, listen up, and uh, let's just jump off, Matt. If you had only one sauce that you could take with you on a desert island and you had to eat it for the rest of your life, it would be... Yeah, Chick-fil-A sauce. Chick-fil-A. Undoubtedly, Chick-fil-A sauce. It's no hesitation. No hesitation. No, that that would be my favorite sauce. And I was actually unaware of it for several years. And then about two, three years ago, uh, I tried it and my whole life changed. Yes. So much so that these days, you know, I have to go to some banquets and parties and I'm not always in control of like the menu or what we might be eating. And I'm a pretty uh, picky eater. Mm -hmm. And so um, if you're at a banquet with me, uh, just know that if I'm not sure what the food is, I have a Chick-fil-A sauce in my pocket because I'll even eat broccoli if I can dip it in Chick-fil-A sauce. And so, yeah, so that's the, that's, that's the great cover. The the Chick-fil-A sauce. Yeah. How about you? Well, uh, man, I like barbecue sauce. It has to be the right kind of barbecue sauce. There's some that I don't like, but uh, I really like the spicy sweet combo. Um, and so probably if I could only have one, it would probably be a spicy sweet barbecue, and I could put that on pretty much everything. Yeah. Um, it's actually, uh, when I was living in Ireland, they didn't have A1 sauce, and I grew up on A1 steak sauce. Yeah. And people give me flack about it, like, man, if you like the steak, then you shouldn't put a sauce on it. And I'm like, well, I'm not making you put it on yours. I just like it on mine. So <laughs> let me let me have my thing here. But uh, I actually ended up having my mom ship me A1 sauce, and we would go into restaurants, and I would sneak it in and then put it on. And man, my Irish friends just gave me such a hard time, not because I was putting sauce on, but they're like, you can't bring that into a restaurant. <laughs> so when it comes to A1 sauce, is that what what's is that spicy barbecue sauce to you? No, it oh, is okay, not okay, spicy, okay, but yeah. no, that's completely different. No, this is just steak sauce. Yeah. Um, but if I had spicy, uh, sweet barbecue sauce, I would put it on steak and be okay. Yeah. Um, but if I had my choice, it would be A1 sauce. And the thing is, though, is that I let them taste it, and now they order it from the States to the, you know, they get it shipped to Ireland because yeah. they like it so much that, yeah. that they are still using it, as far as I know, to this day. Thank because goodness it's for so Amazon good. in Ireland. Absolutely. That's, That's right. Awesome. And, and fast shipping and all that stuff. Because uh, back then, it was hard to get stuff like that in. And so I just had to bring it in my suitcase. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Have you ever tried, um, there's a really great hot sauce called mango habanero hot sauce, and it's got some like mm-hmm. sweet bite to it. It is is it that is what Pastor really Trevor showed good. us one time? He, yeah, he bought some for me, and I'm like sold on it. I put my, put it on my eggs. Uh-huh. It is, it is so very good. So Blair's Heat 
mango, mango. habanero hot All right. sauce. It's not too hot. It's got some sweetness to yes. it. That's um, my kind of hot sauce. Yeah, I think I think that you would enjoy yeah. that. It's interesting that that sweet spicy combo. That's what I like with like like uh, Asian food or you know Chinese food is yeah. is that sweet spicy. Uh, Panda Express has a really cool kind of sp- spicy sweet chicken that's really really good. It's just that yeah. that combo of flavor for whatever reason I really like it. You dig so, that, huh? Mm-hmm. Talking sweet and spicy. We're talking politics today. Ooh, so, that's yeah. right. Sweet <laughs> and spicy. So uh, yeah, man. Uh, presidential debate did you catch any of the presidential debate last week yeah it was crazy oh my it goodness was, it was somewhere between like a cafeteria food fight and a bar fight yeah. i think is, is, I, it was my oh takeaway man. i don't uh, someone posted d- with all the technology in the world does nobody have a mute button like i feel like that's an easy way to moderate like you you set the rules and you say look it's this person's time to speak and when it's not when they're not on the clock just you mute it yeah. Right? I mean, I don't know. Maybe they're afraid they would jump over and start talking in the other mic. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it, it was the first presidential debate that I've ever watched that right. I literally shouted out loud and told people to shut up. Yeah. I'm like, just shut up. Like, yeah. we're getting, this is n- nowhere. We're getting nowhere. Yeah. Well, I think the debate probably characterized and your feeling uh, probably a lot of Americans and maybe even Christians, right? Where, like in this recent election cycle, we feel pretty discouraged and mm-hmm. disillusioned, and maybe even dejected, and maybe even some apathy is set in in terms of, uh, like, is there is there anyone out there that that truly uh, can lead this country in a way yeah. that that can bring people together mm-hmm. and not where it's just this constant arguing and fighting and talking over each other and and all the stuff yeah. that's happened. It's like talking to a six year old. Yeah. You're like, come on, fellas, like let's have some self-control something yeah. like this my my cousin actually posted uh and the loser of this debate was america yeah. <laughs> yeah it was it was it was hard to watch i i have hope for the next two that things will get situated and that yeah. there was enough um outrage i guess in the way that it was handled from both sides that yeah. um that these next two will yeah. be will be better yeah. and and we'll see with mm-hmm. the covid diagnosis of mm-hmm. president trump now yeah. and well, he already came out though, and is saying he's feeling much better. Yeah, and all he's of that, back so. in the White House. So, yeah, but yeah, a couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity uh, to go with Jeff Tompkins and Alex Stadler, our resident here at Crossroads, to a pretty cool event called uh, "The Politics of Neighborly Love," mm-hmm. which was really all about as Christians, how do we think through the politics of the day and the election that we're in? And it was so so good. Like I just sat there, and it it really helped me think through. Uh, what a lot of people are feeling, mm-hmm. what I'm feeling myself in this election cycle, and to really start to think through, uh, what is a biblical worldview when it comes mm-hmm. to when it comes to politics? And you know, one of the questions that oftentimes gets asked of me and maybe you as a, as Christians and as pastors is like, is like, who should I vote for, and mm-hmm. what does this look like? And and so well, the conference gave you all of the answers. It did, and, yeah, and perfect. today and today we will give you none. And so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think that ultimately it's a worldview issue, right? In terms of how do we see our faith and then how's that lived out in the policies of the day, realizing that when it comes to the two-party system that we have in America, that oftentimes it feels like we have to compromise our values uh, regardless of which way we vote. And that's just the hard reality of, of the world that we live in in this space. But, you know, part of it is is looking at it in a lot of the conversation right now on social media and in the news is like, is this is as bad as it's ever been mm-hmm. in America? And uh, one of the cool things that actually started the whole uh, evening of this politics of neighborly love was trying to answer that question and a little bit of like history 
uh, gave some perspective in that. Like, I don't know if you're aware, but Caesar, Mm -hmm. uh, all the way back in the Roman days, was stabbed like 60 times by political opponents, you know? Mm -hmm. And so you have that even in the early days of America, if you've seen Hamilton. Yep, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, you have Aaron Burr, who was the uh, seated vice president of the day, right, committing murder of Alexander Mm -hmm. Hamilton in a duel. And so that was pretty crazy. A little later on, there was a fight on the Congress floor uh, that got so heated that uh, there was threats made of, of people being killed. And so, uh, you know, is it as bad as it's ever been? Probably in our lifetime. You know, mm-hmm. the tension is certainly as high as it's it's been in the last 40 years or so. And there does seem to be this polarization happening in the political realm that's a little bit discouraging to see and um, and the way that we think through that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really disappointing that we, we can't have healthy conversations um, and that everything is is polarized and black and white. We actually have a couple of our friends that have been friends of ours since college uh, and even before that that um, one won't talk to the other right now because of political stuff. And I'm just like, that doesn't seem to me like the proper way forward. Uh, but you're, you're right that, man, all the stuff that we're seeing right now, I think that every generation thinks, man, this is it. Jesus is coming back. I think that's just the what we, we naturally fall, default to. Um, but, man, it, it's not even the first pandemic in the world. I mean, uh, humanity has overcome lots of disease and, and actually found ways to uh, help with medicine to overcome a lot of disease, right? I mean, not that long ago, polio was taken over, right? And they figured out a way hey, this is a way that nobody has to have this disease anymore. And right. I know there's a lot more with the virus that's going on right now and things like that than, than polio, you know. But for us to hold to the truth that, man, God is in control mm-hmm. and that uh, no matter what's going on, man, that's what makes it so good to be a Christian, right, is to say, man, I have hope in something that isn't rooted in in this world. It's outside of this world. and And, and that's really the where I think a lot of fear comes from is if you think this is it, then man, yeah, that, that fear creeps in really, really quickly. Yeah. And I think that when it comes to the way we think as Christians Mm -hmm. and as believers and as followers of Christ, like we realize that when it comes to politics, that politics represents the greatest opportunity and also the greatest threat to the unity of the church, Mm -hmm. you know, and as we head into the, uh, November elections here, that's probably one of my greatest fears as being a pastor of the church when it comes to the reality that we have people who sit on both sides of the political spectrum. You know, we have people who are Republicans, probably about 50% of our church is Republican, I would guess, about 30% are Democrat, Uh, 20% I would uh, venture to say are independent or third-party voters and that, and so we have a pretty broad spectrum when it comes to uh, political affiliation and political parties, and the way that the polarization is happening, I think to myself that this could be pretty, um, this could be a pretty huge threat to the unity of the church if politics in some ways seep in in ways that aren't healthy. Yeah, And I think that what's always like really helpful to remember, and I think that um, Augustine said it, is that the purpose of politics is really to figure out how to love your neighbor. And I just love that because that's ultimately what it is, is is when we think of politics, there's issues in this world that we need to solve. Mm-hmm. And there's issues that our neighbors are going through that, that we need to solve. And as we go through that solving of those issues, right, that that's really what politics is about, is how do we come together uh, as people and solve an issue? And the problem is, is that uh, or what I should say is, is solving issues for our neighbor. That's right. Like that's a, that brings about flourishing. That's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem when it comes to politics is that 
we forget that solving the issue is good, and we start thinking that our way of solving the issue is what's good. Mm-hmm. And our way of solving the issue is just one of many uh, different ideas. But my, way's Matt. My, my way is right, Matt. Yeah, exactly. And that's where the, the polarization of politics comes, right? Like, if we wanted to solve world hunger, there's a hundred different ways that we could solve world hunger. The problem in politics right now is the right says this is the right way to do it. The left says this is the right way to do it. And we forget that what's good is solving world hunger. Mm-hmm. And what we start fighting over is is what we think is good, which is the the right way, quotation mm-hmm. mark, to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, man, I had a thought, and it fleeted away. Uh, so I guess I won't. What else you got to say, man? That's really good stuff. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Thank you, Jared. I would say the other thing is, like, you know, um, when it came to Augustine and the way that he thought about politics, one of the things that uh, he presented is that, like, in the end when we're before heaven or before God in heaven, that one of the questions that will be asked of us is how well did we defend our neighbor? Mm -hmm. You know, that all of our neighbors have things going on in their life, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional in their lives. And they all have issues. And, and one of the things that we look at is, man, have I, have I defended my neighbor? Well, have I loved my neighbor? Well, and that's a part of politics that where it has like the greatest opportunity of really bringing us together as a church and saying, look, we, we can defend our neighbor. We can be for our neighbor. Like God calls us to yeah. be for our neighbor. Yeah. That you, you reminded me, you reminded me what I wanted to say. So oh, you're I, welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate that. So I was just thinking about how we have kids, right. And, and we tell our kids all of these rules in order to help them to grow up, to have good character. But then something happens when we get older, where we decide, Oh, that doesn't count anymore. Um, so I think of, uh, even like, uh, this is an extreme example, but a, like, like nudity in a, in a movie, right? Where we, uh, might tell our kids, you know, Hey, you can't watch that. You're not old enough. And it's like, are we really ever old enough to be like, Oh, it's okay for me to stare at other naked people and be okay with it. Like it, right. it's never actually okay. Right. Uh, but we decide, Oh, well, once I'm 18, now it's okay. Um, and, and so all of these harmful things that are harmful to us, that we teach our kids not to do. And then once we reach a certain age, we say, oh, it doesn't matter. So when it comes to loving your neighbor well, you know, I mean, uh, Scripture tells us, Paul writes, you know, care more about the interests of others than you do even the interests of yourself. Like, lift the people up around you and love them well. But it's like, you know, I think about when we teach our kids to share. Like, we have a rule in our house that says, if you can't share, you can't play. Mm. But then we grow up. And we start buying things, and, and this is mine, and that's mine, and right. this is my property. And, and we have fights with our neighbors over a foot because your fence is on my property line. And all of these things where it's like this stuff that we've been, we're teaching our kids, this is the right way to behave. Then we grow up, and we just throw it all out the window, and, and we just focus on ourselves. And I, that's not what we're called to do. That's not what Jesus asks us to do. That's not what God's Word tells us to do. And I think that when it comes to uh, politics, if there's a way for us to start approaching it in a way that says, man, how can I vote in a way that is not just going to benefit me, but it's actually going to benefit the people around me as well? Yeah, and I think that's I think that's a good point, Jared, because I think at the end of the day, like when we look at our two-party system, that neither party represents wholly who we are as Christians and as believers. Mm-hmm. You know, like when I read Jesus in the Gospels, he seemed to be pretty socialistic mm-hmm. in his approach, right? Like, like he was probably like one of the most socialist guys that we that we see in the scriptures. And um, and so, like, there's this thing, like, as Christians, how 
how far should we go when it comes to socialism? Like that's yeah. something that we have to that we really have to wrestle wrestle with in that space. Um, in that, at the same time, when it comes to life, uh, you know that as Christians, we're we're supposed to fight for life, and we're supposed to always be on the side of life. Like that's that's a reality for us. And so yeah. so how do we how do we balance those two things that we see when it comes to Jesus that we're to fight for life, and also that there's supposed to be this social good about us where we're lifting up and helping people come come to places in in ways that you know our culture today would describe as socialism. And so how do we how do we look at that as as believers and how do we do that? And yeah. you know the hard thing is there's not a right answer yeah. to that, right? Like we've seen that when socialism is lived out, you know, in degrees of Marxism, that it falls apart pretty quickly. But we also see when it comes to capitalism that there is a lot of danger uh, in capitalism when it comes to taking advantage of the system when money becomes the end all be all yeah. piece of that out of your life. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. like, how do we do that? And as Christians, I think sometimes we get so involved in like the one issue mm -hmm. and we lose sight of, of everything. And, and one of the things that I've been thinking about often lately is like when it comes to the abortion issue and like the two sides of abortion that have been set up on that is one is women's health. And the other is, is the sanctity of human life. And when we look at those from a Christian worldview, both of those are good, mm -hmm. right? Like we should be for, women's health, and we should be for the sanctity of human life. Mm -hmm. Like, we should fight for both of those. And yet the issue is, is that it's been so politically divided that if I stand on the women's health issue, then I have to be left. Mm -hmm. And if I stand on the sanctity of human life issue, I have to be right. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is if I stand on the sanctity of human life, then I better be the loudest person in the room uh, for women's health. Mm -hmm. And if I vote left because of my view of women's health, then I better be the loudest person in the room when it comes to yeah. the sanctity of human life. Yeah, when you're in those political spaces, especially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we can't allow our politics to define mm -hmm. our faith yeah. and who we are as believers. Yeah. And, and it can't, I mean, we have to figure out how to take care of both, right? It can't be one or the other. Um, and I, I think what really, where it all really starts to fall apart, Matt, for me is when we start putting our faith in politics mm -hmm. and not our faith in Jesus. And I think that that's, that's a huge breakdown where we're, we, be, we become dependent on another fallen human being to fix all of my problems. Yeah. And that's a problem. And, and that's why we've been set up in the way that we are is to hopefully have some checks and balances in that, mm -hmm. um, which aren't really being held up very well anymore either. I think most of us don't really know hey, that's not right, but I don't really understand what I'm supposed to do about it. Yeah. Um, and I don't think going and, uh, you know, shooting up the city is the right way to, to approach it. And so trying to figure out how, how to approach that. Uh, but for me, man, I don't want to have so much faith. Uh, I, I want to be a smart voter, and I want to be active, and I want to do my part. But at the end of the day, my faith is in Jesus to, right. to take care of me. Yeah. Um, and, and I think the other breakdown is circling back around to what you said from the very front was it's not that we don't care about people it's that the left and the right have differing views on how to take care of that person at least on the moderate right and left right yeah. i mean it gets extreme on both of sides course. and it just gets crazy but on the moderate left and right really we're really caring about the person and we're arguing over how do we take care of that person and so the question to me then falls to how do i love somebody and how do i love them well mm. and i think that's a breakdown because we have different 
different views about what love is. Well, you know, you see someone homeless on the street and one person says, man, you got to, you got to feed them because they're hungry. And if you don't feed them, you are not loving them. But then you have someone on the other side that says, yeah, but if I feed them, I'm not helping them take care of themselves. And so I want to love that person well. And so we need to figure out a way, how do we help the whole of a person and not just put a bandaid on whatever it is that's broken? Yeah, and I think that the political climate that we're currently living in in the U.S. gives us opportunity to actually live countercultural in this world, right, and to show love and unity. And we just can't, like, brush that off. Like, we can't brush love off. That love has to be the driving factor of the way that we interact with this world, the way that we interact in our politics, the way that we interact in our vocation. And if we can simply step back and, and ask the question, like, what does love require of me in this moment for years I had a, a, that quote actually on my phone. And so anytime I turned on my, my phone, what I was met with was the quote is, what does love require of me today? Mm-hmm. And really, it was just a, a reminder to me that that should be the driving question of my life is, is what does love require of me mm-hmm. in this moment? And, and to do that to the best of my ability. And we can all have you know, arguments when it comes to like the example that you used, you know, is feeding somebody um, who's hungry the best thing or is it helping them become self-sufficient so that they uh, don't have to be reliant on me feeding them? And the reality is that both is the right Correct. answer. And so yeah. how do we go down that road and and show love in that space? Yeah. And I think that when it comes... And really, our political spectrum would tell us that we have to pick one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is not truth. Exactly. And when it comes to the political spectrum, I think that Christ... Um, has a lot to love on both sides. I think he really does. I think he also has a lot to critique on both sides and even some things that he would condemn. Yeah. Well, I would I would encourage you, if you're listening, just be very prayerful about your vote. Um, and, and also when it comes to this idea of love is, man, all of us are flawed, right? Our thinking is flawed. My feelings are flawed. My emotions are flawed. And so really part of that prayer is asking Jesus to actually speak his truth and his wisdom into us. And how do I love my neighbor well? Because Absolutely. It has to come from him. Otherwise, it's just my opinion against your opinion, and we're right back to where we started from. So that's my encouragement to you. As you're listening to this, just take some time and just pray and really be open to what what doors God would would reveal to you and to to walk through on how to love uh, your neighbor well, especially through this heated political season. Yeah, and I would just add one thing to that. I think that as believers, like we're called to both live in compassion and with conviction. And I think that sometimes we uh, lean towards the side of conviction and we forget about what the compassion looks like when the reality is that we're called to be both. We're, yeah. we're to be compassionate and convicted, that we're supposed to live our lives with mercy and justice, mm-hmm. and that we have to do the best that we can in the political and in the elections to determine what does that look like uh, in the candidates, in the policies in the laws that we vote for this election cycle. Yeah. And the only way to do that, like you said, is is to be prayerful, to discern, to take the conviction that God gives each of us, to vote in that conviction. And then where our party lines fall flat uh, is to meet those spaces with compassion. Yeah. And it's going to take people on both sides to really mend the gap, right? Absolutely. So uh, no matter what side you're on, it, it, we're needed. Um, so, well, let's shift gears a little bit. We're going to go into our Ask Anything segment. Ask Anything. 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 
So Matt, for our Ask Anything segment today, uh, we have these questions that uh, people email in uh, specifically for uh, the Ask Anything sermon series, but we're, we're following up with some of those. And so today we are answering the question, does baptism save us? And so uh, I know that different people approach baptism differently. Some people were, were baptized as babies. Um, some people don't get water baptism, uh, and, and there's just different theological views. And so, Matt, what, how would you answer this question from a biblical perspective? Uh, do we need to be baptized in order to be saved? Yeah. So I think when it comes to that question, maybe the right understanding or the right question to ask first is, is when does salvation start? You know, we have plenty of scriptures that says that we have been saved, we are being saved, um, when you believe, those kinds of things. And I think that I just look at a few verses like John 3.16 where it says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That the beginning of eternal life is is belief in in Jesus, right? Romans 5.1, uh, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with with God. Uh, Romans 3.28, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And so I could go on and on and on with a bunch of other verses, uh, but for time's sake, I think that what we see throughout the scripture is that our salvation, our conversion experience, which is a miracle in and of itself, this, this idea of new birth, is by faith and faith alone. And, and that's what we see throughout scriptures. And so when it comes to the understanding of baptism and answering the question, um, does baptism save us? The answer to that is no. Baptism does not save us. That only our faith in Jesus saves us. That, that if we said that baptism uh, is salvific, if it saves us, then what we're doing is going against the verse in Romans that I just read out of Romans 3.28, right? That, that baptism becomes a work in which we must do in order to receive salvation, when the reality that we see over and over again in scriptures is that it's through our faith um, that we are saved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I would say uh, then in James, uh, faith without action is dead, yes. right? Yeah. That's what James says. And so for me personally, uh, I grew up in the Friends Church, which is more commonly known as the Quaker Church. Mm -hmm. And in the Friends theological tradition, they don't baptize with water. They would encourage you that uh, when you accept Jesus into your life and you begin to follow him, that you are given the gift of the Holy Spirit who comes and dwells within you. And so you are then baptized by the Holy Spirit. And so when I went to college, I was really wrestling with water baptism and, and yeah. should I do it? Should I not? And really it started in high school. Um, and so for me personally, uh, as I prayed through it, as I read scripture, as I, you know, uh, talked to my mentors about it, uh, I just came to the conclusion that it was something that, that God was asking me to do out of obedience. Yes. And so uh, in college, I went into uh, one of my professors, into his backyard, into a swimming pool, I invited my, my family, and, and he baptized me on graduation weekend uh, of my senior year. And so um, it was which uh, it, really the thing that God spoke to me was, I, you are in me and I want to define you. I don't want any denomination to define you. I want your mm -hmm. identity to be rooted in me. Yeah, and so good. do this out of obedience to me. And so uh, that that's kind of where I landed on that is, uh, no, it's not something that I needed. Like I was already saved. And yes. by doing it, I wasn't now more saved or, you know, saved 
times 10 or something. Right. Uh, it, it was just something that Jesus asked me to do it. And as a believer, uh, really accepting Jesus is our first uh, act of obedience. Yes. Right? And then God asks us to do all kinds of different things as we continue to grow up in our faith. And yeah. so um, that that's simply what it was, was being obedient to, to God. To what God was asking me to do. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's kind of the way that Paul treats it in the New Testament, right? That Paul treats baptism as an expression of faith that's really this uh, definitive act of what's going on on the inside of us. Mm-hmm. And that we are asked or even commanded by Jesus to do it, right? Like all throughout the scriptures we see, you know, believe and be baptized. Like that's that's part of the thing and that Christ asks us to do this out of obedience to him. And so baptism really is this like outward expression of what Jesus is is doing on the inside of us. This is this beautiful picture of the way that God washes us and cleanses us and redeems us in this space. And it even seems to be like when we look at some of like Paul's teachings, particularly like in Colossians chapter two, is that it says that that we've been buried with Jesus in baptism and that we're raised with him through faith, and that this is the power of God working in us, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, like, we look at this, and there's this deep connection between our faith experience and us trusting in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and then following in that act of obedience in such a way that we enter into the waters of baptism to be baptized. Now, at Crossroads, we don't really argue over mode, you know, mm-hmm. and so whether we dunk you, that's what we believe in is, mm-hmm. is the dunking because that's what baptism means. But we're not going to argue if you were sprinkled. We're not going to argue with you if you were hit by a fire hydrant, right? Like at the end of the day, like what did you, you dry clean? Yeah, dry clean. Well, that would be interesting, right? <laughs> and so at the end of the day, it's about uh, did you believe in Jesus? And after you believed in Jesus, did you follow him? in this beautiful picture of baptism and yeah. this obedience. Yeah. And that's really where we stand when it comes to us as a church, is that faith comes first, after faith, then we walk in obedience in baptism. And so we hold to what we would call a believer's baptism here, that you believe first, then you're baptized as an outward expression of, of yeah. what God's doing. Yeah, so if someone uh, was baptized as a baby and they were not able to consciously make the decision to follow Jesus, uh, that's something that we would say... Uh, we would probably we would encourage you to get baptized again. Yeah, uh, because it, it, it's something that is f- it's an act of obedience that we have to willingly choose to do, and it's nothing. I can't go just start dunking people and saying, "Okay, they're saved," right? right? Like that has to be something that in their own heart they decide to do. And so um, I think that that's where we would fall as well. Yeah. Is if that's something that you did as a kid, um, and, and it's not like man, I got baptized when I was a teenager and I didn't fully understand. Um, and so now, you know, I want to re-up my, my salvation status. Yeah. Uh, it, I, I wouldn't encourage that either. I, I think if you made a conscious decision that you were going to get baptized, that, 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 that's good. That's, mm-hmm. that solidifies that obedience of, of, of being baptized. Absolutely. And so the way that we'd answer the question is that ultimately faith precedes baptism. Yeah. And that when it comes to the genuine saving act of Jesus... Uh, we make that profession, and then baptism follows. And if you haven't, if you haven't had that that experience yet, whether you were baptized as a baby, you know, where you didn't have the opportunity to profess Jesus, uh, or maybe you know, on the other side of the spectrum, that you've come to faith but you've always been hesitant, maybe like your story, mm-hmm. of walking into the waters of baptism. 
that I would encourage either side of those to seek out and to understand baptism a little more from the scriptures and to have a conversation uh, with one of the pastors here at Crossroads Church and that we would love uh, to walk with you uh, through that experience because while it is not salvific, right, it doesn't save us, it's an important marker in our spiritual journey. And it's a marker that we look back on our entire lives mm-hmm. of going like this was this was the definitive moment when I said I stood with Jesus. Yeah, yeah and I, and it's it's that public declaration, right? Like I can I can say say it in my heart, but then it something happens when I come out publicly and I say, hey, this is what I'm doing now. I'm yeah. in it. I'm, I'm jumping with both feet in. Uh, yep. You know. Yep, I'm, that, I'm, I'm a team pun, Jesus, right? right? That's a good pun. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, well, thank you guys so much for, for listening. Hopefully that answers your question. If you have any questions that you would like us to answer in our Ask Anything segment, please send those into info at crossroadsabc.com. Uh, otherwise, hey, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We are opening up uh, this next Sunday, and we're going to be starting services indoors again. And so if you'd like to come inside and, and worship the Lord with us together, you can uh, register on our website, crossroadsabc.com. Just click on the register now uh, for those services. And man, we're just looking forward to to seeing more faces and uh, and spending uh, more time in faith together. So uh, Matt, thanks for being here. Always good to be with you. 